there, little masters, and welcome to another weekly episode of the Prancing Pony Podcast, where tonight, the good stuff is truly fit for the Elven King's table. West to Hall, my friends. I'm Sean Marchese, the real-life Lord of the Mark, and I'm here with the man of the West, the, I don't know, the chief guard to my Elven butler, Alan Sisto. <laughs> <laughs> you lush. Let's see how long we can go before nodding off. Um, yep. Folks, tonight we start Chapter 9 of The Hobbit, Barrels Out of Bond, which is not the latest Bond film, just to make sure you know that. That would be a fantastic Bond film. Wouldn't it? It would be I, Bond out of barrels, but yeah. Bond. <laughs> I would watch Martin Freeman as James Bond in that. I'm just saying. Martin Freeman as James Bond. Wow. You, hey, it would, be a, it would be an interesting, fresh take yeah. on the character. A very a fresh take is certainly one way to put it, yeah. <laughs> fresh something. <laughs> He's an excellent Bilbo. He's an excellent Arthur Dent. James Bond. Maybe not so maybe, much. Maybe not so much. But Arthur um, Dent, I'd almost forgotten. That was a travesty of a film, but it was he was pretty good in it. It had its right. moments. I, I, it did. There, there was some fun stuff to it, but yeah. Dent, it, Arthur Dent. Yeah. <laughs> Dent, Arthur Dent. You will be late. He's in the late Dent, Arthur Dent. Um, <laughs> all right. Let's introduce this episode. Man, uh... We digressed I, I, really early this we time, did, didn't yeah. we? But I do love this chapter title because it tells uh-huh. you exactly what it's about to happen, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, it? yeah. And this is just one of my favorite chapters. I mean, you've it got is. elves, you've got wine, you've got a barrel ride down a river, you've got mm-hmm. first stage pneumonia. What could, be, <laughs> what could be better, right? But I suppose I am getting ahead of myself. Yes, yes, you are. Before we begin, how about another, oh, man, it's been a long time since we've done one of these, Tolkien quote of the day. It has been a really long time, and I would love to bring one up because I've got Mm -hmm. one of my favorite quotes for the segment today. And you'll know why it's one of my favorites in a moment. So in 1955, Tolkien wrote a letter to W.H. Auden, the poet. Auden and Tolkien actually corresponded for years, starting in 1955 when Auden was reviewing The Lord of the Rings for uh, the New York Times Book Review and another Mm. magazine called Encounter. Well, Tolkien's letter to Auden in June 1955, which is published as Letter 163, is full okay. of great stuff. It's there, There's the bit about saving spiders in the bath. We talked about oh, that yeah. last time. Oh, yeah, just last episode. Yeah, yeah that comes from that letter. Um, but today I want to share a quote from Tolkien that describes his discovery of the Finnish language, which we know was a really big step on the road to you know the creation of his languages and the creation of his legendarium. Mm-hmm. True. So here's the quote. He said, Most important, perhaps, after Gothic, or the discovery of the Gothic language, was the discovery in Exeter College Library, when I was supposed to be reading for honor mods, of a Finnish grammar. It was like discovering a complete wine cellar filled with bottles of an amazing wine of a kind and flavor never tasted before. Mm. It quite intoxicated me, and I gave up the attempt to invent an unrecorded Germanic language, and my own language, or series of invented languages, became heavily Finnicized in phonetic pattern and structure. Well, of course, that Finnicized language he's talking about is what ultimately became Quenya. Oh, and, that's right. And I, I just love this description of discovering a language for the first time. He, he's, you know, this wine yeah, cellar comparison. It's very vivid, isn't it? It really is. It's so sensory. You know, yeah. I, immediately I'm struck by the idea of tasting an unfamiliar language like a fine wine, you know. Uh, and I'm not really a wine guy, but, you know, I, I, I drink wine occasionally, you know. And <laughs> do you think of some of the terminology people use, you know, sure. the, just you just imagine it being a very exotic and complex experience. And, sure. and here he is comparing the, the Finnish language to not just one wine, but many, an entire yeah, cellar. cellar filled. Yeah, hmm. it's like this idea of an entire world opening up linguistically for hmm. him. And it's just a fantastic image. 
Oh, it is. This vintage noun has a smooth bouquet and just a note of blackberry. <laughs> Or something. <laughs> Goes great with the prepositional phrase. There you go. There you go. See? It just it writes I, itself, man. This is when the teetotaler in me comes out because I really don't have a, a, a grounds in which to kind of compare this. But I do love the description. You I, had, you I can at least fooled. understand it. Yeah. You had me fooled. And like I said, I'm not I'm not yeah. much of a wine guy, but um, no. I can, I can, no. I can kind of get where he's coming from. Yeah. I mean, I, I certainly understand the analogy well enough. You know, I mean, yeah. it's, it's not like I'm utterly naive. You know, what is wine? I, I, have not, I've, I, I know <laughs> well, the world. Well, you see, we start with grapes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I love this, uh, this reference of, of the cellar because it, it makes me think of Tolkien's own words about the phrase cellar door from oh, the yeah, essay yeah. English and Welsh, which is funny because Finnish is what inspired Quenya and then Welsh, of course, is what inspired Sindarin. But out of that essay, English and Welsh, he says, most English-speaking people, for instance, will admit that cellar door is beautiful, especially if dissociated from its sense and from its spelling. More beautiful than, say, sky, and far more beautiful than beautiful, hmm. which is interesting. I mean, you know, he has a point. Certain yeah. words are, are more pleasant to say and to hear, and though I have to admit I'm nowhere near enough of a linguist to understand quite why, the phrase cellar door does roll quite nicely off the tongue. Yeah, it it really does, and and that is that's a really good catch that you thought of that the 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 other time that he mentioned cellar, you know, very prominently yeah, yeah. in one of his essays, <laughs> and you know we do talk about this this uh, cellar door, you know, the idea of cellar door being a beautiful phrase. We talk about that a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, contrary to popular belief, Tolkien wasn't the first person to you know mention the beauty of oh, this that's phrase. Right. That's yeah, I mean, right. it's I've looked it up before. It's hard to know exactly where it first popped up, but I know. Um, it, it has appeared in print as early as like 1903, 1905, something like My that. My goodness. So, okay. uh, you know, a good 50 years before Tolkien's English and Welsh essay, but, but he certainly popularized it. And, and I oh, think yeah. he's the one who's brought it to the attention of people like us. Um, <laughs> and, and so I think it's, it is a really cool catch. And it, it is interesting, as you said, you know, Welsh was the inspiration for Sindarin in the way that uh, that Finnish was the inspiration for Quenya. Mm-hmm. And so here he is, he's describing the other language that he loved enough to model an Elvish language on, you know. Right. He's using another cellar analogy, a cellar metaphor for it. And he talked huh. about, you know, Welsh was full of cellar doors and also of words in which there is pleasure in the contemplation of the association of form and sense. So, mm. no, no, no. It, it's My just, goodness. it's neat. It's neat that he's, um, that he's, he apparently has this idea of, of a wine cellar or a cellar in yeah. his head as he's thinking about these languages he loves. And I think it's that's just super cool. That's it makes me think of language in a new way. It does, you know? doesn't it? It makes you approach it differently. Yeah. Yeah. It makes Which me Tolkien wish I has always more. done. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, no kidding, man. I, I mean, I I wish I could speak or read, um, well, you know. Welsh and Finnish would be a start, wouldn't it? <laughs> one, you know, like one-tenth of the languages that I, yeah. you know, I'm familiar with. One of these days, I ought to become more familiar with English. Uh, (laughs) There are times. There are times I'm not sure I speak that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Although it's interesting, you know, uh, Tolkien was not, you know, he was, he spoke wonderful English and he Mm -hmm. wrote in wonderful English, but, you know, he wasn't really what we might call today a grammar Nazi. No, Um, no, not You know, there wasn't there. Oh, man. And here I'm, re- I'm revealing that I haven't looked this up, but wasn't there a letter where somebody asked him about the proper way to, you know, whether to use like the singular form of a verb or the, the plural form of a uh-huh. verb? 
And he had this answer that was just like, basically, he just, he was not the kind of person who nitpicked on like, you know, well, you should use who instead of whom here or, you know, dangling a preposition or, you know, anything like that. Well, yeah, he Um, dangled a preposition at the end of the last chapter. Right. That's right. He did. Um, Yeah. It's just interesting that he was, uh, he knew enough about language to not worry about those things, it seems. And, And I think that's super cool. Yeah, no, I agree. I'll have to I'm, look for that that letter that I'm thinking of. And I'm skimming through the letters and trying to find something. Um, but here, here's here's one that actually actually fits. It may not be the one you're thinking of, but it's uh, letter two eighteen. Uh, the letter was addressed to any professor of English language at Oxford, asking whether it's correct to say a number of office walls has been damaged or have been damaged. And he says, Dear Sir, your letters eventually reached me, though I am not any professor of English language since I have now retired. The answer is that you can say what you like. (laughs) (laughs) That that is exactly the one I was thinking of. Please, yeah. Pedantry insists that since number is a singular noun, (laughs) pedantry insists the verb should be singular, has. Common sense feels that since the walls is plural and are really concerned, the verb should be plural, have. You may take your choice. Yours sincerely, yes. J.R.R. Tolkien. That's brilliant. I love that. I, I, Isn't I, it? I found it almost by luck, sheer luck, if luck there be. Uh, hmm. I was trying to look for verb, but my goodness, there were like 30 occurrences of that word because uh, overburdened is, <laughs> verb is included in the word overburdened. Oh, man, right. So there That's were funny. like six of those. Uh, but I, I, I pulled one when I saw that pedantry was in the same sentence. I thought, that might be the there, one Sean's thinking That's about. the one. That's exactly the one. That's I'm glad awesome. you found that. That's Man, awesome. Man, I love ebooks. <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. But, um, well, with that, I think let's go ahead and move into our discussion, shall we? All right. Let's do it. Chapter 9 picks up exactly where we left off with not Thorin, but the rest of the dwarves. And I'm going to go ahead and read the first paragraph and a half or so. The day after the battle with the spiders, Bilbo and the dwarves made one last despairing effort to find a way out before they died of hunger and thirst. They got up and staggered on in the direction which eight out of the thirteen of them guessed to be the one in which the path lay, but they never found out if they were right. Such day as there ever was in the forest was fading once more into the blackness of night, when suddenly out sprang the light of many torches all round them, like hundreds of red stars. Out leaped wood elves with their bows and spears and called the dwarves to halt. There was no thought of a fight. Even if the dwarves had not been in such a state that they were actually glad to be captured, their small knives, the only weapons they had, would have been of no use against the arrows of the elves that could hit a bird's eye in the dark. So they simply stopped dead and sat down and waited. All except Bilbo, who popped on his ring and slipped quickly to one side. As we talked about last time, it's not just having a ring. It's having the wits to use it at the right moment, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he knows this is the time to use it. And man, uh, boy, is never it? a better time no. to use this ring. Death was so close to them at this point. I mean, they're really realizing this is our last gasp. If we don't yeah. find a way out and a, and a way to find something to eat, we're, we're going to die. Yeah. I mean, um, I think this, this, this use of the phrase, a last despairing effort, I mean, mm-hmm. that kind of spells it all out. Boy, doesn't you. it? And even the fact that they were glad to be captured. I mean, mm-hmm. they they have no love for elves. Elves no. have no love for them. But they are glad to be captured because it's, well, they have a chance of some food. Yeah, hopefully yeah, they'll absolutely. feed me. Yeah. Um, interesting, once again, we've observed so many times the dwarves' total lack of preparation that the only weapons they have were small knives. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> we're going to fight a dragon. What do you have with you? I've got a Swiss army knife. It's three inches long. <laughs> <laughs> 
those tweezers, man. Those ah, tweezers, we just those could come in handy. That Phillips they, screwdriver, yeah. you never know when that'll be useful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. Yep. Uh, and then the elves and the fact that they could um, the dwarves breathe so loud, we so could have shot them in the dark. Shot them in the dark. Um, apparently, oh, they could hit a man. bird's eye in the dark. So they're that's pretty amazing. Yeah, really, really accurate. Um, kind of made me think. I, I I didn't really take any notes on this, but I remember glancing at the the idea of elf shot. I guess this was kind of an old, you know, fairy tradition. The idea that if if somebody was struck with some kind of really unidentifiable malady. Uh, that they were said to have been hit by elf shot. Did you remember hmm. reading any of that someplace? Was that? I, I feel like there might have been something in Anderson on that. Yeah, was there I, th- I think that? so. There was something in Anderson. I think there might have been something in Ratliff as well. But uh, you know, the the interesting idea just being that it's, um, um, you know, Here, caused by caused by elves shooting these invisible. Yeah, arrows. yeah. It's the um, idea of when, for a, you know a primitive society that doesn't. Right, that doesn't understand medicine and, like and anatomy. Yeah, right. It was things like yeah. uh, like arthritis or, or you know muscle cramps or things like that. Right. You know, and so what would happen is they they assigned it to elves because they would find these you know old arrowheads, maybe the remains of you know like Neolithic flint or something like that, uh, and so they would they would attribute it to uh, to elf shot. <laughs> so, <laughs> just uh, just a little sidebar on that. Kind of yeah, I've actually got it right here. I found uh, I found oh, an Anderson. Um, oh, see, I don't have Anderson yeah. in front of me because I, I don't have an E version of it. <laughs> yeah, it's actually the first footnote to this chapter. He says, Elf shot was a name given to flint arrowheads that were supposed to pierce the skin without leaving a mark, oh, causing oh, disease in humans. Okay. Various afflictions like rheumatism, cramps, and bruising were attributed to elf shot. Ah, there you go. So there you go. Just what you're saying. Yeah, awesome. I happen to remember enough of it to sound like I knew what I was talking about. <laughs> yeah, How exactly. cool is that? Yep. Um, so Bilbo gets the ring on just in time, follows the dwarves, uh, and gets to the gates just in time. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, you're going to read that part. So I'm going to pretend I didn't say that and let you read your part. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. Everybody's read it before. We know I know. Happening. I know. All right. Across the bridge, the elves thrust their prisoners, but Bilbo hesitated in the rear. He did not at all like the look of the cavern mouth. And he only made up his mind not to desert his friends just in time to scuttle over at the scuttle. heels of the scuttle. I just had to our point scuttle that again. Out again. I know we had it in the <laughs> last chapter too. Just in time to scuttle over at the heels of the last elves before the great gates of the king closed behind them with a clang. Hmm. Inside, the passages were lit with red torchlight, and the elf guards sang as they marched along the twisting, crossing, and echoing paths. These were not like those of the goblin cities; they were smaller, less deep underground and filled with a cleaner air. In a great hall with pillars hewn out of the living stone sat the elven king on a chair of carven wood. On his head was a crown of berries and red leaves, for the autumn was come again. In the spring he wore a crown of woodland flowers. In his hand he held a carven staff of oak. Now there's a little bit more here to unpack than one might think at first. Yeah, yeah, there um, really is. First off, I, I would love to hear what it is the elf guards are singing, wouldn't you? I absolutely would. I yeah. want to know. I want to compare this to the Goblin song. You know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you you wonder if because because later on in this chapter we do hear them sing a sort of a work song as mm-hmm. they're uh, as they're hauling the barrels. Right. Right. You wonder if it would be sort of a, a marching song, kind of like the Goblin. Not not like the Goblin. Well, not like it. Right. But Snap, but would it be a marching clap, song? The, gra- the black yeah. crack. They're not going to sing that. Right. No. But would it be a marching song or would it be a, um, Wow, the caves are so pretty tonight. Right. Song. 
Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, would I it be a, would it be a marching song or a tra la 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 song? Right, exactly. Right. Is it a OMG cave? <laughs> OMG stars? <laughs> OMG Thranduil? OMG Thranduil? <laughs> yeah, oh, you wonder. Goodness. It's it, it, it's yeah. a shame that we don't get it there. I know. Really cool. And because although there's a blink and you miss it moment of Bilbo almost thinking about deserting his friends. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think you know, the we talked fear. about his loyalty last time. Yeah. You know, and here he is. Uh, he he almost uh, he almost he hesitated breaks this time. Yeah, yeah. And he only made up his mind not to desert his friends. I, I think there was something about that cave that scared him. And I got to tell you, it's probably because the last time he went into a cave, <laughs> he ran into a golem. <laughs> he ran into a golem and almost got eaten. You know. Yeah. Um. But yeah, yeah. I mean, what a what an interesting description of the of the the caves themselves, right? You know, these twisting, yeah. crossing paths. Um. But but the difference between them and the goblin caves, right? The yeah, the, the cleaner smaller, air, the cleaner smaller. air, mm-hmm. I, I, you less know, deep. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you, you get the and feeling they still are also twisting and crossing. Mm-hmm. They're still cr- twisting and crossing and echoing, which you don't get the sense of bewilderment that you got in the goblin caves. No, no. And it seems like it's you know a, a fairly short march, perhaps, to the the great hall. Uh, Probably you know, we don't, so. You don't yeah. get that sense that this is, you know, taking them hours. That it's to taking get there. forever. Yeah. 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 The appearance of the Elven King is something worth talking about, isn't it? The, uh, it the is. crown I think of this berries. Is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. He has a seasonal crown. In yeah. autumn, he wears berries and red leaves, and then in in spring, he wears woodland flowers. You know that that just tells us that this this Elven King is closely tied to nature, and we know that that's you know mm-hmm. that is the way with elves. You know, that their is life the is artist life. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and then and being a wood elf, you know, a sylvan elf, we must, well, yeah, cinder, and cinder elf and elf ruling over sylvan elves. We must assume that he probably is more attuned to nature than most elves, you know? That's true. That makes sense. Uh, and so he's sitting on a chair of carven wood and he's holding a wooden staff, but his wooden staff is interesting. I wanted to talk about this because yeah, uh, Anderson some gives us that, something right? really cool in, uh, in one of his footnotes there. He talks about this nature of oak in relation to fairy. He says that oak is traditionally a sacred tree. It was associated with the Druids and their sacred right, groves yeah. of worship. And then he tells us that in fairy lore, it has stronger magical associations when growing near ash and thorn trees, two other of the most sacred fairy trees. Okay. What's interesting about that is that all three of those trees are mentioned in a song, and we'll get to it, but not for several more chapters. It's it's after, it's on the way back. Uh, they're, they're in Rivendell at that point. And on the return journey, those elves are singing, and the last verse has them saying, Hush, hush, oak, ash, and thorn. Hushed be all water till dawn is at hand. Hmm. So you get that reference to oak, ash, and thorn, which in fairy lore is, you know, a real strong magical association. I never would have caught that. I Um, absolutely would. I mean, you know, now that you say that about oaks, I did know that about the Druids. Yeah, I did know about um, oaks. I didn't know that. Yeah, but ash and thorn, thorn. I I never thought about it. No. Very, very fascinating. That's stuff. really interesting. It's pretty cool stuff. Because I know, I know the the ash tree is also pretty significant in uh, in Norse mythology too. Yeah, that's true. Um, I think the world tree is an ash tree, isn't it? Yggdrasil. Yggdrasil. Um, I don't remember. I think what sort it may of tree be. is Yggdrasil? I'll have to look that up while you're reading your next passage. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very good question. I, you know, it is. It is an immense ash tree. You are correct. There you go. Wow. Wow. It's good to have you on the show. That's why I paid the big bucks. That's that's. <laughs> Come on, it's all about the love. You know the irony the in that, by the way. Yes, yes. No, it's all about the love. I will double we'll your pay. Thank you, thank you so much. 
What's <laughs> now, now's our Firefly double, reference. Th- yeah. Two times uh, zero. Let's see, double carry zero, zero and carry the zero. <laughs> yeah. Oh, goodness. All right, I'm going to go ahead and pick up uh, right after you left off and right after that really cool illustration in our, in our copy of the book, the yeah. Elven King's Gate. Very cool little symmetrical drawing of the forests uh, leading to the yeah, bridge, the leading to, yeah. the, to the entrance to the cave. But it's very, um, it's very orderly. <laughs> you know, it is it, very orderly. It's very, like you say, it's symmetrical, and it's very. Um, the trees have a very kind of uniform spacing, and mm-hmm. it, it, it doesn't. Uh, it, it's not. It's not a scary place. No, although no, you're you right. Know, it speaks. Bilbo's of, reaction of to it, notwithstanding, but it's it's pretty. It's pretty intimidating. Some, I think if you're. It's intimidating. Yeah, that's a good yeah. word for it. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll go ahead and pick up exactly where he left off. The prisoners were brought before him, and though he looked grimly at them, he told his men to unbind them, for they were ragged and weary. Besides, they need no ropes in here, said he. There is no escape from my magic doors for those who were once brought inside. Long and searchingly he questioned the dwarves about their doings, and where they were going to, and where they were coming from. But he got little more news out of them than out of Thorin. They were surly and angry and did not even pretend to be polite. "'What have we done, O king?' said Balin, who was the eldest left. "'Is it a crime to be lost in the forest, to be hungry and thirsty, to be trapped by spiders? Are the spiders your tame beasts or your pets, if killing them makes you angry?' Such a question, of course, made the king angrier than ever, and he answered, "'It is a crime to wander in my realm without leave. Do you forget that you are in my kingdom?' using the road that my people made? Did you not three times pursue and trouble my people in the forest and rouse the spiders with your riot and clamor? After all the disturbance you have made, I have a right to know what brings you here, and if you will not tell me now, I will keep you all in prison until you have learned sense and manners. (laughs) Next time my son forgets to say thank you. I'm going to keep you in prison until you've learned learned sense and manners. Um, they just kind of give you that look that, what? Yeah, I know, seriously. <laughs> that would be my son. I would say something you, like that, and he would just kind of look at me and just say, um, what? What's that, what's that from, Dad? <laughs> yeah, right. What is that a reference to, Dad? Right. He, he, he knows that that's Since like something. everything you say is a reference to something. Seriously. Because that's how it is around here. Because we all speak in, in metaphors and we speak in We speak quotes. in geek references. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I would like to go back to the very beginning of that passage and talk about- yes. um, Thranduil, or the Elven King, uh, referring <laughs> to his magic doors. I think it's really interesting that he uses the word magic here, uh, considering we don't really see the elves use that word very much. And in fact, uh, the, the, the most prominent thing when I think of that word is Galadriel's objection to it in Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? Uh, I think uh, she hears Sam use the word magic. And then, you know, when she shows him some of the stuff she can do. She says, this is what your folk would call magic, I believe. Oh, yes. Though I do not understand clearly what they mean. And they seem to use the same word of the deceits of the enemy. Deceits of the enemy, yeah. yeah. Remember that. It's uh, it's just neat. You know, the, to, for we've seen the word magic in this book a few times, but this is the first time I think I've seen it in an elf's uh, dialogue. And so it's just, uh, it's interesting because elves don't usually think of what they do as magic. Um, now, obviously there's, you can, chalk that up to the fact that this was an earlier book. Tolkien mm-hmm. was not originally thinking of it as being part of the legendarium. He's trying to keep it, you know, kid-friendly and so forth. Um, but it is, it, it's an interesting shift from oh, yeah. an elf openly describing what he does as magic here to Galadriel later on in Lord of the Rings. Right. No, you're absolutely right. And, you know, we've seen magic, I think, two or three times just previously. You know, we talked about the good magic that lingered. 
mm-hmm. uh, you True. know, in the in the, the fire ring. Uh, yeah. We there was another passage as well that mentioned magic just in the last chapter. So, yeah. You know, definitely it's, it's comes up more in this book than than yeah. in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Well, and we talked about that back in reference to the dwarven spells too. Mm-hmm. That's also a word that we don't see. Uh, as much yeah. in the rest of the legendarium as we do here in the Hobbit. Yeah, and again, and I think, and I think Tolkien. Yeah. yeah, definitely, and I think Tolkien, as time went on, I think he got, he he started to shy away from the word magic more and more. Oh, and yeah. I think there was actually a letter, um, letter one fifty five was the one where I, I'm not going to read anything from it, but he talked a little bit about his concerns with using the word magic. And yes. remember, that's the one where he talks about Goetia you know, the, and... the magia and the Goetia, yeah, yeah, yeah or magia yeah, and Goetia. The, yeah, that's the one. Take a look at that letter uh, if you haven't yet. And what episode do we mention that in? Do you remember off the top of your head? Because I don't. Honestly, I think it was in a postscript, and it was probably You're the right. postscript to to the one of the trolls two. with the uh, yeah yeah because of the the spells because the, 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 the dwarven spells yeah, yeah. that's the one but it would uh, have been the postscript to that episode. But You're check right. let, check letter one fifty five. There's some interesting stuff on there. Just mm-hmm. in the difference between um, different types of magic. Mm-hmm. Um, what is called magic and why the elves don't call it magic basically just because it's it's just a power they have it's something yeah. inherent to them yeah it's part of the their nature ma- the gist of it was magic is not something that you can study spells to learn right it's right. an inherent power that elves have and is not attainable by men unless no. you're you know somebody like aragorn who has, who has some elven some blood right mm-hmm. exactly yeah um i want to touch on this this comment that balan makes that actually gets thranduil even angrier when he says are the spiders mm. your tame beasts or your pets if killing them makes you angry you Some know fighting words aren't they those really are i, I don't know if balan knows that or not because he'd have mm-hmm. to know the history of elves and spiders i'm not even sure that thranduil would know everything but assuming he was raised in doriath he would he would know he would have heard about uh, Ungoliant, he would have heard about True. what she did to the trees. Uh, he would have known about um, the, the animosity that the yeah. elves have towards the spiders. Uh, and Well, and, and the spiders that, you know, were in the, um, oh gosh, what yeah, was the- Yeah, the uh, Nandungorthib, right? Thank you. Yeah. 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 I'm trying to think, like, what was the scary valley in- The scary <laughs> valley. <laughs> scary valley that Baron went through. There was right. a scary valley. It was a scary valley. Nandungorthib, yes. Thank you. I believe. I think I'm, I'm right. That's that's absolutely right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you know that, that. No wonder that Thranduil felt like, hey, this is really, you know, that's over the top, dude. That tweaked him a little bit. It did, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. it tweaked him. Yeah. I mean, he's really like, dude, you're kidding, right? You, uh, oh, oh no, you didn't. Yeah. No, you didn't. And that sounds like something Thranduil would say too. <laughs> oh no, you didn't. Oh no, you snap. Didn't. Um, you know and so he's the one who points out no 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 no. the spiders don't be pointing that at me that's you you're the one who came in here and roused the spiders with your riot and clamor which there's a phrase I'm gonna (laughs) yeah you know uh, your riot and clamor what riot and clamor all we wanted, all we came in, all we did was walk well, into the clearing. All we did clearing. was step into the clearing where you guys were partying. Yeah, you want riot and, and clamor. You're the ones yeah. who were harping and singing and, and singing passing and laughing bowls and, and meat passing around. bowls around. And <laughs> all we wanted to do was say, "Excuse us, could we have some food?" <laughs> How dare you starve to death so loudly in my forest? <laughs> Seriously. <basically>. <laughs> <laughs> what were your What were your friends do? Probably starving. Probably starving. <laughs> so he's a charming guy. Really, this he guy is. is just, 
you know, full of sympathy and pity and grace and mercy. Just a quality dude. He's not he's not a nice guy, but no, but he's not an evil guy. No, he's not an evil guy. And that's and, once and again we, this notion that Tolkien always writes characters that are black and white. It's, it's total yeah. hogwash. People who say it that absolutely do not is. read. Yeah. You're not reading the books if you think no, that. No. I mean, this is a, a wonderfully morally ambiguous character here, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he so really is. So let's do a quick sidebar. I want to compare the elves of Rivendell and the, and the wood elves. We've already talked about this, the, the less wise and more dangerous. But there was something that Olson said that I wanted to, to mention. He mentioned that they are more dangerous precisely because they are less wise. Mm. He points out that the elves of Rivendell may seem silly, but they know stuff about Bilbo and the quest. That's their wisdom and their knowledge. And they're willing to help because of that. These elves, the wood elves, don't know anything about the dwarves. And instead, they have to rely on their assumptions about the fact that they must be enemies. And it's because of that lack of knowledge and those incorrect assumptions that they are suspicious and not only unwilling to help, but that they would go so far as to imprison them. So I really thought that it's was a bit a like great... we were talking about last time in the in the Parliament's bag segment. But yeah, yeah as Corey Olson saying that they're more dangerous precisely, I think you said. Yeah, precisely because, because they yeah. are less wise. That's the, the, yeah. their danger, their status. The lack of wisdom is why they are more exactly. dangerous. Exactly. The cause yeah. Yeah. is the lack of wisdom. The effect is their danger, mm-hmm. their dangerous mm-hmm. nature. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. That's that's really interesting. Well, yeah. And, you know, we talked last time about how. They are, um, you know, they're sort of they're insular. They're mm-hmm. um, they're a bit pro- very protective of their borders. They're yeah. They don't take kindly to strangers. You combine all that with a lack of wisdom. Um, yeah, that's, that's a, a dangerous, dangerous combination. You're right. Yeah, it is. I mean, in a way, like you said, like you said last time too. There's a good reason why they are protective of their borders. I mean, <laughs> sure, know, the yeah, spiders yeah. are right. Are, they're are surrounded by evil, yeah, terrifying things. Yeah. yeah, and and in Rivendell, that's not the case. Plus, in Rivendell. One could argue that their borders are are somewhat magical. Um, yeah. You know, we see certainly that when they do find the valley, it's it's nigh unto impossible to find without knowing where it is. Uh, right. Even Gandalf, who'd just been there, couldn't find the place practically. And when they do go, there's this sense of of really entering another another world. I mean, it's fairy. Right. That's the yeah. whole point. Yeah. But you know, later on, when we find out that you know Elrond has a ring, and we know the power of those rings. Uh, yeah. In terms of preservation and protection, uh, that you know, it wouldn't surprise me to think. Well, we don't have to really watch our borders. They're kind of they kind of watch themselves. I mean, you know, yeah, maybe not quite Whereas on the level of Doria. Yeah, these elves don't have that. Yeah. No, they don't. They they simply are not as powerful, uh, mm-hmm. and so they have to rely more on their kind of their their skepticism, if you will, their cynicism. Really, uh, that's another very alive. clear difference between them and the elves of Doria. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked last time about some of the ambiguity early on as to whether this was supposed to be. Thingol or inspired by Thingol or something like that. But mm, there's no girdle point. of Melian here. No. <laughs> they yeah, are protecting another, themselves. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very good point and another great way to distinguish uh, mm-hmm. between Thingol and uh, the Elven King, who I have referred to several times as Thranduil. But let's be honest, that's who he is. Yeah. That's so. who he is. And we so. might as well just eliminate any, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah ambiguity yeah. As, in regards yeah. to it. Let's be very clear. That's not a maybe or could be. That's, that is. No, it's, so. yeah, he is Thrandall. Uh, you have the next reading. It's a little bit further down the line. Uh, you know, we, we see a little bit of an insight into, into Mr. Baggins, as the narrator calls him once again. It's kind um, of a little, there's a little uh, burglary montage that goes on for a couple paragraphs here. Well, yeah. Uh, you've then, got actual, the actual. I've got the part after that, but there's a little bit of a, you know, yeah. 
Yeah, that, that he it talks about basically what he did, that he would slip out yeah. sometimes and, you know, he didn't really like doing it because he didn't – there was nothing of value. He couldn't, you know, d- d- serve any purpose while he was out there and he didn't want right. to leave the yeah. dwarves. He couldn't keep up with the elves, so he was right. always afraid he'd get lost. So, you know, he ended up I, living by eating food off the tables. <laughs> yeah, stealing food from store table. And I think it's really significant that it says he's stealing food. Yeah. We'll get back to that a little bit later on. But, yeah. So I'll go ahead and pick up uh, the paragraph after that. You got it. I am like a burglar that can't get away, but must go on miserably burgling the same house day after day, he thought. This is the dreariest and dullest part of all this wretched, tiresome, uncomfortable adventure. I wish I was back in my hobbit hole by my own warm fireside with the lamp Mm. shining. Mm. He often wished, too, that he could get a message for help sent to the wizard. But that, of course, was quite impossible. And he soon realized that if anything was to be done, it would have to be done by Mr. Baggins, alone and unaided. Eventually, after a week or two of this sneaking sort of life... By watching and following the guards and taking what chances he could, he managed to find out where each dwarf was kept. He found all their twelve cells in different parts of the palace, and after a time he got to know his way about very well. What was his surprise one day to overhear some of the guards talking and to learn that there was another dwarf in prison too, in a specially deep dark place? He guessed at once, of course, that that was Thorin, and after a while he found that his guess was right. Hmm. <laughs> My goodness. So um, it's Groundhog Day. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't help but think yeah. of, of, of Bill Murray waking up yeah. every morning to uh, I Got thing. You, Babe. Yeah, <laughs> right. The alarm yeah. clock. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's just having to keep on doing the same thing every day. Yeah. Just, you know, steal some food and go mm-hmm. out with the elves and I can't really do anything and I can't figure anything out. Just um, feeling kind of useless and, yeah. you know. And remember, he's wearing the ring this whole time. And oh, I can yeah, only yeah. imagine, again, with a hindsight of knowing Lord of the Rings, can you imagine what wearing the ring all this time must be doing oh, to yeah, him? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know? I mean, and again, here in this book, it's just a neat ring, and we don't want to lose sight of that. But right. think about actually wearing Sauron's Ring of the Tower for <laughs> weeks all I the time. I see you. <laughs> like over you, and over, I still see you. Like, I know you see me. Can I, I just, I'm trying to steal some Lembus off the can, table Can you there. leave me alone just for a yeah, minute? Just for a minute. <laughs> I also I think we- go to the bathroom. I know. We get this really clear, boy, you know, and there's, Tolkien never tells us how that happens. <laughs> Sorry. That's true. There was a thread going on about that, about, you know, why does, why does he not tell us about, you know, people having to use the bathroom or take showers or baths? Uh, cause that would cause be kind of boring. That, yeah. <laughs> we, because he wants to keep it high and purged of the gross. Right. <laughs> purged of the gross indeed. Yeah. You want to know about people's bodily functions, play the Sims. Don't read Tolkien. Yeah. No kidding. Um, I did like this reference, this Baggins Took reference again, right? We get this. Oh, absolutely. I wish I was back yeah, in yeah. my hobbit hole. Um, but you know what it made me think of the, what made me think of the Took side was the line right before that. This. This, having to burgle the same house over and over, is the dreariest and dullest part of this uncomfortable adventure. Oh, it's the boredom. It's it the, is. The, Sheer yeah, boredom. He, he wants a little excitement. That's very Tookish. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. He's waiting um, for something else to happen. But I have to say there is something in the way he says this, the fact that he recognizes that first, that you know this is the dreary and dull part, and then he wishes he was back home. It made me think of On Fairy Stories. And how, 
you know, one of the three things that we get out of fantasy is recovery, the recovery of the, the real meaning of things. Mm, this yeah. makes me think that in his experience now, he's recovered the true value of home. Oh, that wow. before it was an yeah. escape and now he's really recovered its meaning. I don't know. Yeah. It, it just feels like that because now he's got that completion. He's got that took side that's really strong now. Uh, so strong that he's complaining about being perfectly safe. <laughs> yeah. It's he, it's not that he's complaining and he wants to be back home because he's tired of the adventure. He's it's he's he's adventured as much as I guess his, his, his adventure has reached its sort of. Yeah. I don't know. It's peak. It, it's it's peak for now. Yeah. Peak adventure. Yes. Yeah. And that's an interesting, really interesting thought and a good insight. Yeah, I don't I don't think every I would once have picked up on blind, that. Blind squirrel, you know, broken clock. <laughs> <laughs> No, you got a few more than that. But um, well, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I I do think that it's interesting that at the end of that paragraph, again, he's referred to as Mr. Baggins. Yeah, and, and almost so, as though the narrator is because he's actually saying what Bilbo's thinking. It almost like well, mm -hmm. nobody's going to get to do this unless it's Mr. Baggins, except for me, Mr. Baggins. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then the idea, of course, that he wishes he could get a message to Gandalf. I mean, can't he just DM him on Twitter? I mean, dude, don't you have your phone? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Who in the world would he get, he get a signal? A, he can't get a signal down no, there. No, no, the caves just mess with everything. Um, I mean, there's a there's a Wi-Fi. He can see the Wi-Fi, but he can't. It's it's password protected. He can't get on. <laughs> Probably is. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it's um, interesting because he is choosing at that moment to do something Tukish. But he's he's yeah, yeah, referring to thinking of himself as Mr. Baggins. Mr. Baggins is really key. Yeah, and not as you know to be done by Bilbo. Yeah, he does. Um, he does figure out where everybody is, and interestingly, they're not mm -hmm. all like piled together. It's it's very interesting. I, that's a very how shall I put this inefficient way to build a prison in your palace to have different cells all over the place. <laughs> Seems a little over the top. They're all in different parts of the palace. Really? Yeah. Really? Who builds their jail cells like that? I wonder if he has a whole lot of jail cells, and he's just making sure to put them in that's separate ones. That's kind of what I'm thinking. Yeah. Which doesn't really speak very well of him. No, I think I mean, he's he just can't trying put to keep them separated. in prison. So who's he putting in prison when it's not the dwarves? Anybody That's else he can get his hands on is kind of what I'm thinking. <laughs> he's just he's like, I can't wait to imprison somebody. You, you're going who, to jail. Who am I going to imprison today, Legolas? <laughs> um, that's an interesting question. Um, I what was just thinking of today, a, Thranduil. Same thing we do every same day. Same thing Pinky. we do every day. Imprison anybody. Try we to can. imprison as many people as we can. Imprison the world. Try to imprison the world. <laughs> okay. Okay, Thranduil. But Narf. now we're going to find so many dwarves. Narf. <laughs> Narf. <laughs> oh goodness. <laughs> I uh. Yeah, no, I was just thinking of him keeping them separate so that yeah. they couldn't communicate with right, each other. But right. you're right. There is – it is pretty <laughs> Different parts of the palace and then there's like yeah. a really dark place where Thorin is. Yeah. Oh, goodness. You just imagine like one of them's in a pantry somewhere. <laughs> one of them's in like a janitor's closet. Yeah. That's true. Maybe these are multi-purpose rooms, right? <laughs> yeah. Except for Thor Thorin's. That's the pit of despair. <laughs> <clears throat> the pit of despair. <laughs> See, if he's Count Rugen, he should have a pit of despair. There you go. Thrandall. There you go. Um, oh, so man. a week or two of this sneaking sort of life, that brings us back to kind of our timeline, doesn't it? We, uh, Yeah, I think it's worth kind of talking about yeah. how much time they really spend here, isn't we, it? We kind of speculated a little bit about this a couple episodes ago, and then we talked about it in that episode's uh, postscript. 
Mm -hmm. uh, but we're going to expand on that a little bit here and talk from Fonstad's Atlas of Middle Earth. Um, yeah. She yeah, estimates some things, doesn't she? She does, yeah. And she does She does some speculating. She kind of works with the few dates that Tolkien gives us. Right. And then she sort of speculates the rest and does fantastic work. I mean, even oh, yeah. like estimating how many miles per day yeah. the, the party would have covered walking through Mirkwood. Yeah. But what she came up with was, let's see, I've got it here. So July 25th is mm -hmm. when the party entered Mirkwood. Now, I should say that's based in large part on the, there are two firm dates we're given, right? We know that coming up is September 22nd. That's going to be mm -hmm. the arrival at Lake Town with uh, Bilbo's birthday. Uh, right. And then the because other day- We learned in Lord of the Rings that that was, yeah, yeah that that was his yeah. birthday. Thank you very much. It's not mentioned here, but yeah. No, that's correct. And then uh, the other firm date we were given was uh, Midsummer Day, right? Uh, or um, uh, I think that's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, when they were in Rivendell. Right. Yeah. So she estimated the time it took to cross the mountains and everything. Yeah. Which I, Being captured which I by the door, by the goblins yeah. and and then journeying yeah. and spending the day, uh, spending, you know, total of what, two nights at uh, at Bayorn's bed and breakfast. Right. So right. It, <laughs> yeah. So if they entered Mirkwood on July 25th and uh, she speculates that they crossed the Enchanted Stream on August 15th. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at, what, three weeks three there just to weeks. get a little over halfway through the forest. Yeah. Um, and then uh, she's got August 23rd as the date of the spider battle mm -hmm. and when Thorin was captured. And then the rest of the party captured the evening of the next day, August 24th. Okay. So that would have been about a month in Mirkwood. That makes sense. Um, and then somewhere between August 31st and September 7th then. So if they were captured on August 24th and it's he's a couple Bilbo's of weeks been living after like this a for week a or week two. or two. Yeah. yeah. He's been living like this for a week or two. Um, right. And they were captured on the 24th. And that must mean August 31st to September 7th is when he's finding Thorin. And at that point, she's working backwards because of the September 22nd right. date. So. Right. Because she knows it's going to be a couple more weeks before they escape. And then, right. as you said, they, they make it to Lake Town on his birthday. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's, really, I mean, about a month in the Elven King's Halls. It goes pretty quickly here in the book, but it would not have gone Yeah, certainly a good—yeah, uh, you're right, from August 24th till till September 21st, just shy of a month mm -hmm. after yeah. spending a, a, a full month in the forest itself. Right. This has been a long, difficult journey, really. A very long journey. It really yeah. has. So, uh, But that, that was worth taking a sidebar on just because, you know, it really helps us to get a grasp on just how difficult and how taxing this journey has been. Yeah, I mean, you don't you don't quite grasp the magnitude of uh, or the length of this stay. No, um, because it, it you know Tolkien covers it pretty quickly. I mean, yeah. it, there's not much to say. No, it's just this sort of this Groundhog Day life over and over again. But right for a full week. Man, or two. it went on for a long time. Yeah, that's a long. That's a, even a week is a long time, but a week or two mm -hmm. uh, would stretch that out a bit. So uh, you know, he does end up uh, getting a chance to talk to Thorin. Thorin, of course, is stunned. I uh, couldn't even believe what's going on. Uh, and then I'm going to pick up right after that. Okay. So it was that Bilbo was able to take secretly Thorin's message to each of the other imprisoned dwarves, telling them that Thorin, their chief, was also in prison close at hand, and that no one was to reveal their errand to the king, not yet, nor before Thorin gave the word. For Thorin had taken heart again, hearing how the hobbit had rescued his companions from the spiders, and was determined once more not to ransom himself with promises to the king of a share in the treasure, until all hope of escaping in any other way had disappeared. Until, in fact, the remarkable Mr. Invisible Baggins, of whom he began to have a very high opinion indeed, had altogether failed to think of something clever. The other dwarves quite agreed when they got the message, 
They all thought their own shares in the treasure, which they quite regarded as theirs in spite of their plight and the still unconquered dragon, would suffer seriously if the Wood Elves claimed part of it, and they all trusted Bilbo. Just what Gandalf had said would happen, you see. Perhaps that was part of his reason for going off and leaving them. Oh, my. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah, perhaps. <laughs> perhaps, one might say. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do love Thorne's message, though. It's not, you know, have hope. It's stay stubborn. Stay stubborn. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Keep your mouth yeah. shut. Don't say anything. Um, but yeah. even Thorne's opinion. You know, we talked about this before. The other dwarves had a high opinion of, of Bilbo uh, after the fight with the spiders, and now it's Thorne's turn. Uh, yeah. All he's of heard, a sudden, he's, he's got a high the, opinion. Yeah. He's heard the story of Bilbo's exploits, and he's he's taken heart again. You know, mm-hmm. he was he was about to give up. He was about to reveal everything to yeah. the Elven King. He was pretty and, close to it, or at least and, to offering him a share in the treasure. Yeah. Yeah. And just knowing that Bilbo is still free and he's out there, it's, yeah. that, that gives him the hope that he needs to keep going. And and think about how important hope is in Tolkien's world. Absolutely. You know? We've and talked Bilbo about is now that. a source of hope for the dwarves, including Thorin. Yeah. He had taken um, heart again. And that really is, I mean, that's just another word for hope, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. I do notice, yep. though, that they're they're not relying on, on Mr. Baggins to execute a wonderful plan. They're expecting him to think of something clever. They're, they're not yeah. only wanting him to do the job of getting them out. They're wanting him to think of the solution tell to us get what, them out. Tell us what, you're, what we're going to do. Yeah, they're totally exactly. passive at this point. Yeah. 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 I mean, he, he clearly is the – he's the brains and the <laughs> he's arms everything. and legs and the feet. The he, he's the operation yeah, at this point. Is. Yeah. Yeah. He's just yeah. got 13 little tumors hanging around. <laughs> I mean, you know, who all want to yeah. share the treasure, but yeah. Which they haven't even won yet. And Right. Yeah. I love that. I love the narrator's comment there. That, yeah. You know, that it's, which they yes. quite regarded as theirs in spite of their plight and the still unconquered dragon. Yes. Oh, yes. yes. There's yes. a all dragon. Those, all those unhatched chickens that they're counting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> counting some big ones. That's, yeah. That's pretty speculative counting right there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right. I'm not sure that their odds are any better than I think I mentioned once before. How like I'll drive down the freeway and I'll see the sign that says you know the lottery is up to five hundred million dollars. Oh yeah, yeah. Or you know five hundred, like fifty million or something like that. I'm like, hmm, how would I spend fifty million? And I spend the next you know twenty minutes of, on the traffic jammed freeway thinking of what I would buy, <laughs> what you would do with that money. Yeah, how many first edition Lord of the Rings I might get or something. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and you know, and then and one for your co-host, right, of course, of course, of course. So I snap out of it, and I'm like, "Oh man, come on! I just wasted all that time thinking of of something that's never going to happen." Well, yeah, yeah. The dwarves eventually get theirs, but realistically, they shouldn't be thinking like that. They, they really should not think that they have a chance at this point, because it's only through a series of very unlikely events, <laughs> very and unlikely the luck events. of the Hobbit that they managed to get it. Absolutely, at all. this would they would already be over if it weren't for the luck of the Hobbit. Yeah, um, but I do love this last but, line about Gandalf, don't you? That's just oh, great it's, stuff. It's so great because you know we've just talked about how much Bilbo's stock has risen with these dwarves, mm-hmm. not just in this chapter, in this paragraph, but even the end of the last chapter. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and yeah, the narrator says this, you know, just what Gandalf had said would happen, and and yeah, we joke. Perhaps that was part of his reason for going yeah. off. I mean, it, he had other uh, reasons, it, of course, but he he certainly did, but. Gandalf knew. Gandalf knew this was going to happen all yeah, along. Absolutely. And yeah. um and yeah, I mean, they think of him as remarkable now. That's yeah. that's incredible. So the remarkable Gandalf knew what Mr. he was doing. Invisible Baggins. Yes, I love, I love that too. That. Mr. Invisible Baggins. Part of his name. Gandalf now. knew. 
Gandalf yeah. knew this all along, and that's exactly why, you know, more to the point, it's why he brought him on the journey in the first that's, place. Yeah, and why he kept saying there's more to him than than he even knows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very very cool stuff. Well, Bilbo doesn't. But exactly I do think like it's interesting that the in. very next sentence tells us that Bilbo doesn't yeah. really feel comfortable no. being depended on by everyone. He doesn't want to be the leader. You know? that's not no. that's not the role he you know embraces or or you know relishes. Right. Uh, and, once and that again, strikes me as a very Bagginsy thing to think. Oh, yeah, yeah. That this his most Tukish moment. This is where he gets. He wants to think of himself as prosaic and not, you know, mm. poetic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't want you guys to depend on me. He Where's wants the wizard very much. The wizard, right? You know, we talked yeah. about earlier how we wanted to send a message. Now he really, really wishes the wizard were around. Um, yeah. And I love this thought. He sat and thought and thought until his head nearly burst. It made me think of. Um, Winnie the Pooh? No, it actually—oh, wow, oh. that's a good one, too, though. I hadn't thought so about I, I that. I think of, he thought in the most thoughtful way he could think. <laughs> I was thinking um, of the Grinch, and he puzzled and puzzled till his puzzler was sore. Oh, There was okay. something about, uh, you know, how he was thinking of some idea. Um, and so, you know, here okay. he is. He's thinking and thinking till his thinker is sore. His head there you go. Yeah. So um, I'm just thinking, yeah, I'm thinking of the Winnie the Pooh. That's you know, awesome. The most, that's a great one. And, I'd forgotten about And Winnie that. the Pooh just sitting in there going, think, 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 think. You're right. I, that's right. <laughs> I, I've, now that totally comes to mind. I can see it. That's hilarious. Because I have kids and I now know yeah. the entire Winnie the Pooh oeuvre. Oh, goodness. Yes, I know. <laughs> Did, have they uh, watched, what's the cartoon? that? That's one on Disney Channel. It's uh, uh, like they solve little mysteries. I can't remember what oh, it's called. Oh, no, we haven't seen that one. Uh, it's, I think it's. I think they stopped making it. There was like two seasons out, but um, my my kids love it, or they used to. You know how it is. They like it for like three yeah. or four weeks, and then it's like they never want to see it again. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so they, yeah, they've that's, moved that's on kids. to the next obsession. Oh, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't looked for that uh, one. We were watching all the, the old, the like all the Winnie the Pooh movies for a while. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. No, this was uh, this was some. I tried reading the books to them, but uh, they uh, they just didn't get into the books quite as much. Even though a lot of it is the same as the narration in the movies, but yeah. Oh, it's my friends Tigger and Pooh is the name of the show. Okay, I will have to look for that one. I've become a bit of a Pooh Bear fan. And you do a good Pooh Bear voice. I remember there was that one where you said, oh, bothered, I just about lost it. It was so perfectly on point. I've, yeah, I've had a little practice. Which now means you must do it. I've that. just summoned you. I Summon Pooh Bear, I've just done. <laughs> summon Pooh Bear. Oh, bother. <laughs> there you yeah. go. Thank you, sir. <laughs> oh, my evening You're is welcome. now complete. Well done. Think, <laughs> uh, think, 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 think. <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. A wonderful thing All about right. Tiggers is <laughs> Tiggers are wonderful things. Yes. All right. So okay. I'm going to have you read before we completely get Let's some. keep reading. <laughs> oh, come on. Eeyore is totally my character. Uh, yeah, he is. You can, I'm sure you can do a better Eeyore than Oh, no. I'm just, that's just who I am. I like walk around oh, my whole just, life. Like, I'm like you Eeyore. just are Eeyore. Well, I'm just feeling just, gloomy. Yeah. Nothing good is going to happen today. So, <laughs> oh, Eeyore, what's happened to your tail? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, that is just awesome. I'm going to have to play that for my son. Um, in the meantime, we've got like 3,000 people going, would you just get on with Tolkien, please? Just please read some please Tolkien. Please get on to Tolkien. So, when did this become an A.A. Milne podcast? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'm going to have you read I'll that, uh, I'll, that I'll next Go on and now. read. All right. <laughs> One day, nosing and wandering about, Bilbo discovered a very interesting thing. The great gates were not the only entrance to the caves. 
A stream flowed under part of the lowest regions of the palace and joined the forest river some way further to the east, beyond the steep slope out of which the main mouth opened. Where this underground watercourse came forth from the hillside, there was a water gate. There the rocky roof came down close to the surface of the stream, and from it a portcullis could be dropped right to the bed of the river to prevent anyone coming in or out that way. But the portcullis was often open, for a good deal of traffic went out and in by the water gate. If anyone had come in that way, he would have found himself in a dark, rough tunnel leading deep into the heart of the hill. But at one point, where it passed under the caves, the roof had been cut away and covered with great oaken trapdoors. These opened upwards into the king's cellars. There stood barrels, and barrels and barrels, for the wood elves, and especially their king, were very fond of wine, though no vines grew in those parts. The wine and other goods were brought from far away, from their kinsfolk in the south, or from the vineyards of men in distant lands. Well, so, um, yeah, you know, this, this kind of explains the king's attitude. He yeah. just, he hadn't had his drink yet today. Um, <laughs> <That's>, wow. <laughs> yeah, he's a bit of a lush, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, he's got a problem. Yeah. But uh, uh, good catch for Bilbo, you know. Don't take the don't, moose, don't, you'll kill yourself. <laughs> <laughs> give me the keys, Thrandall. Give me the, give give me the, the keys, keys to the moose. Dude. Give me the keys to the moose. <laughs> Dad, give me the keys to the moose. <laughs> I can't let you go out on the moose, father. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Uh, oh, the moose man, is that's another. Great. Yeah, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, good, good old Bilbo. You know, doing some, mm-hmm. doing some snooping around yeah. and, and finding this. Uh, you know, finding this other way out doesn't yeah. seem like much of a way out. No, but, no, not much. Hey, you you work with what you've got. That's exactly right. You're finding a way because the other way out isn't a way out. You know, we can't all yeah. get out those gates. There's just no way. Yeah. Yeah, because as we but, read earlier, there's that line about one invisible ring is a great thing, but not much could among fourteen. Right. So, but yeah, and and a good thing, you know, you gotta wonder if there's a little luck here that the mm-hmm. uh, that the elves are so fond of wine, don't you? Um, <laughs> that they manage to, you know, have all these barrels lying around. Yeah. And boy, they're just like, they just happen to be there, just in case. And they happen to be needs. big enough to shove a dwarf in. So to shove a dwarf into. Yeah, you know, I had to look into this whole question of wine because we yeah. don't really see a lot of references to to elves drinking wine in in Tolkien's works, do no. we? No, no, that's true. I mean, in Lord of the Rings, we see wine associated primarily with hobbits, of course, but but also men, Faramir's yeah. rangers, um, the, the, the Rohirrim, Denethor, uh, even Saruman's human servants. Yeah, that's oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah the um, the wine that Merry and Pippin yeah, found. Yeah, exactly. Uh, when the when the three. The, when they the found the wine and the tobacco yeah. and the food, and it was tobacco. Right. Tobacco. Just, right. And it was, toba- <laughs> it was tobacco. I'm just saying that. They weren't sitting up on the wall like Cheech and Chong. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Mary and Pippin is no. Cheech and Chong. I've, I now yeah. am never going to be able to get that image out of my head. Thank you, Sean. <laughs> You've just so, ruined that I'm so scene sorry. entirely. I know. I'm so sorry. That's okay. So that sorry. scene I, was that's, troubling. That's what I think every time I watch that scene. It's a, it's a fun scene, it, but it's, okay. yeah. It's definitely, if you say so, <laughs> Cheech and Chongish. Um, but no, I mean, we we typically I, I went back through the books to just look for any references to. Come on, Aragorn, on. <laughs> you gotta have some of this, man. <laughs> well, see, I didn't do the voice, at least. <laughs> you can't blame me for that. Oh man. 
Well, now I'm not even going to be able to watch like Cars without thinking of that because you know he's the voice of Ramon. Because he's he's the voice of uh, Ramon, yeah, the yeah, uh, the yeah. little lowrider, right? Yeah. <laughs> why do I know that? I don't know why. Because you because, because you've got I have kids, kids and you've seen Cars yeah. like eight thousand times. Ramon yeah, exactly. paints you a bright man. That's right. <laughs> yep. He's got a different. He, he's got a different brand new paint job every time. Oh, you see every him. time you see him, and I like mean, awesome paint job too. But yeah. Oh yeah, sparkly and everything. Oh yeah, metallic. Anyway, and... yeah. <laughs> so I actually did uh, a little survey of elves drinking throughout uh, the Lord <laughs> of the Rings, especially, um, and you, we usually see them drinking mead, which mm-hmm. uh, we talked about a couple. Were these random ago, traffic stops, or was this a? <laughs> <Just asking. laughs> No, <laughs> the roadblocks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Are you an elf, sir? Are you drinking, sir? <laughs> how many how many drinks uh, have you had? Tonight, how many sir? have you had, sir? Two. Uh, <laughs> it's always just a couple, just isn't it? Step off the moose, sir. Step off the moose. <laughs> gonna, I'm going to have to have you walk a straight line for you me. Step down off the moose. Um, but no, we usually oh, see them man. drinking mead. Um, yeah. We see Galadriel pour uh, white mead into the cup of farewell oh, when right. the fellowship leaves Lorien, yeah. And uh, she also sings of sweet mead in the poem oh, Namadie, which you read about yes. a year ago for uh, Tolkien Reading Day. Beautiful. There's uh, it's it's in Quenya is Miruvoreva, yes, which is of mead. It's a it's an inflected form mm-hmm. that uh, denotes the possessive or adjective case. But um, but yeah, it's 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 translated as sweet mead, and it's basically the word Miruvor, mm-hmm. which, uh, is... which is also the name of Elrond's exactly. homebrew at Rivendell. Yeah, yeah. So we know that must be a mead as well. Um, so lots of references to elves drinking mead, um, but not go wine, back to the, you're right. but not wine. You go back to the Silmarillion, and the only time we see elves talk about wine is metaphorical. We see. Uh, do you remember back? Oh, in, I think I know which quote you're coming which, up with. I can't remember exactly which chapter it was, but Angrod is talking to um, to Thingol and Melian about Feanor, and he talks about how the Noldor became as if besotted with wine and, and as briefly. briefly. Yeah. Uh, that was in, it was right after yeah, the that, map chapter, wasn't it? So chapter 15 of the Noldor in Beleriand. That sounds right. Yeah. 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 Uh, boy, so, that was awesome. Not, not a, yeah. Not a lot of references to elves and wine together. No. I mean, it, it generally kind of seems like elves, uh, this sounds kind of silly, but the elves of the Lord of the Rings are kind of social drinkers, you okay. know? And, and, and I mean that in like the most literal sense, they use... They use mead in, you know, ceremonies, the cup mm-hmm. of farewell, yeah. um, you know, to kind of bring people together at Elrond's house. They use it to, you know, to relax and have good good times, but they don't tend to overindulge. No, you we, don't, don't see, we don't see a bunch of drunk elves running around. That's true. No, not running around Lothlorien or Rivendell. No. However, the fact that they use the metaphor besotted with wine mm-hmm. in reference to Feanor means that they must definitely have some experience with being drunk. Yeah, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, to find actual examples of drunk elves, we have to look a little bit earlier. Yeah. And there's a really good one in the original version of The Lay of the Children of Hurin, which you've got there, Yes, don't I you? do. You know, we talked back in uh, episode 36 about how Turin left Doriath after a fight with Cyros. Uh, remember, we mentioned that we would be talking about Cyros soon. Well, here's that moment. That's right. We did, yeah. Uh, yeah. He's a, an elf of Doriath, for those of you who don't remember the Silmarillion, or at least who don't remember the tale of Turin. An elf of Doriath who, who taunted Turin one night at the dinner table. Cyros sees Turin come in from being in the wild with his clothes all worn out and his hair unkempt, and he makes fun of his appearance, provoking Turin into fighting back. Uh, I actually love the, the the oldest version of the tale because he hurls a... Uh, 
like a pottery thing at his head and kills him right then and there. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, or, you know, he falls back and hits his head and dies. But um, in the Silmarillion, we're told that Cyrus had long begrudged to Turin the honor he received as Thingol's foster son. But in the lay, it's very clear that Cyrus, who was called Orgoth in this early version, is drunk and belligerent. So I get to read mm-hmm. some alliterative verse. No, oh, and I can't wait for this. Let's do it. Then the fool's mirth was filled the more. To a keener edge was his carping whetted at the clothes uncouth and the uncombed hair of Turin newcome from the tangled forest. He drew forth daintily a dear treasure, a comb of gold that he kept about him, and tendered it to Turin. But he turned not his eyes, nor deigned to heed or hearken to Orgoth, who too deep drunken that disdain should quell him. Nay, and thou knowest not thy need of comb, nor its use, quoth he. Too young thou leftest thy mother's ministry, and twere meet to go, that she teach thee tame thy tangled locks. If the women of Hithlam be not wild and loveless, uncouth and unkempt as their cast-off sons. <laughs> hey, talk about some fighting words, Well, you're man. not kidding. You left your mom too young, because, you know, if you were older, she would have taught you how to comb your hair, unless, of course, she was as crazy as you uh, with, you know, uncouth and unkempt. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Unable to take care of themselves. Yeah. Here's my comb. You need it. (laughs) I think in the final version, he even, you know, he brought in, um, kind of made more of a reference to, sort of offhand reference to his sister, didn't he? Oh, yeah, yeah. It was sort of an accidental reference to his sister, actually. It really uh, was. It was, foreshadowing the, reference. it was a foreshadowing reference about, but, yeah, like, you know, running you know, naked. Them running wild, naked, like you know, deer. with only their hair to, to clothe them or something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a great, um, a great like, stinking drunk bad choice moment. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> For Cyrus or Orgoth, as he's called there. Well, and it's so, one of the uh, last decisions he makes. <laughs> it is. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Yes, it is. But so, yeah, there we see that elves, you know, they might usually be social drinkers, but they they are capable of getting drunk and (laughs) doing stupid things, um, which is a far cry from. um, Okay, let's if we're talking about um, weird moments from the movies, um, the uh, the Lord of the Rings extended scene with Legolas and Gimli in the drinking drinking game, the drinking game. Yeah. And Legolas, um, you know, just sitting there drinking, pretending like it does nothing. Yeah. 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 And obviously still, you know, quite well in control while Gimli is literally under the table. <laughs> literally under the table. <laughs> but Oh, um, man. Yeah. So, so yes, uh, we will see more of this in uh, in the next part of the chapter because yeah. I know we're, we're getting close to the end here. But uh, we'll oh, talk yeah, a little right. bit we didn't, more about We never bothered to tell people we were splitting this one up into two chapters and two episodes. Oh, no, we? we didn't. Sorry, folks. <laughs> That's right. Hey, uh, we're splitting this up yeah. into two episodes just so you Yeah, know. there you go. Let's give it the full yeah. Prancing Pony podcast treatment. Sorry about that, folks. No. But, uh, yeah, so um, we'll be talking more about that next time. And we'll see, you know, why this wine has, you know, this is very special wine and why it has the effect it does on oh, yes. on these elves. Yes. Um, and, boy, does it have an effect. Wait, you're not kidding. <laughs> <laughs> this is like, you know, passed out with the with the motor running, you know? Yeah. <laughs> We're going to find yeah. out. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he you, does. You fall asleep talking. That's some pretty strong <laughs> wine. But, I mean, I've had, you know, I've, I've had some wine in my day, but I, I don't think I've ever actually passed out while talking Whilst having a conversation with the, yeah. with the butler right. or with the chief guard. Right. Oh, goodness. Well, butler, that's an interesting word, too. Isn't it? I don't know why. It seems like a. It seems like an odd word to it use. It does. For, it's almost an anachronistic an uh, sort of word. Yeah. Yeah. 
We may have to look into the history of that word I think a we will bit. for the next episode. Yeah, maybe we will. Uh, but that does finish up our chapter discussion for today. Please stick around, though. As you know, we're only a little over an hour into the episode, so we must have well, some Are we really... finished? I thought we had a couple more things. Do we? Yeah, we talked about Bilbo learns how the wine comes from Lake Oh, Town. yeah, yeah, that's true. I'm sorry. You're right. We do. <laughs> you, want, you want to go back? I, I will let you go back because I feel entirely foolish now. No, all right, all right. Well, so, so, so Bilbo learns that the wine comes from Lake Town, right? Yes, yes. And and he he has discovered that, uh, or it says it seemed a town of men still throve there, right? Which is interesting because Bilbo's discovering this for himself, but I mean it was on Thor's map, so mm-hmm. it's not like the dwarves didn't know yeah, about this. Not, yeah, it's not totally unknown, right? Um, so I just this is just to sort of set up what's going to happen next. Bilbo has discovered where the wine comes from, mm-hmm. so. That's where he's going to yeah. come up with this plan. It's funny. He, he gets the details, but the, as a reader, you don't – you have to you put two know. and two together. You have to figure out yeah. what is he yeah. – what plan is he developing based on these facts. But you know that he's learned yeah. about Lake Town. He learns about the barrels. He even learns that the barrels are, are tied together like rafts uh, and that when they're empty, they get they get thrown out that uh, – that those trap doors and out the water gate. Right, yeah. So, I mean, it's it doesn't a take like a, a really... genius to figure out what he's about to, you know, propose. True, but, that's true. But they don't spell it out for you. But the, you the don't spell it out for you. It's kind of like it's kind of like a great heist movie, you know, like yeah, a heist montage yeah, yeah. where you're seeing, like, all the little pieces the little planning. put into place. Mm-hmm. But you don't see exactly – I'm hearing Ocean's yeah. Eleven music right now. Ocean's Eleven yeah. That's exactly what I was yeah. thinking of, yeah. That's so, so cool. <laughs> but – yeah. But yeah, I think that that probably that's as does. far as we wanted to get in this one. Yeah, no, actually, there's still more. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Had to do that for you because I felt so stupid there. No, um, that's really where we wanted to break it. We weren't sure where yeah, we were going to so. break this up, but there's enough to say in the next episode. Uh, we knew that if we tried to cover this in one, it would end up being way too long, or we would skip some of the cool stuff like that bit from the lay, and you know, there's just so much stuff here, and we really didn't want to. Uh, miss any of it. We want to give it the full Prancing Pony podcast treatment. treatment. Yep, always. uh, But that really will finish up our chapter discussion for today, folks. But stick around, even though we're only, what, about, uh, you know, an hour 10 in. That must mean we have some good stuff coming up in Barlaman's bag. And, of course, we still want to talk about what is still some big news for us. That's right. As you guys know, the good stuff doesn't end when we stop the reading. No. You never know when Alan and I might actually disagree about something. <laughs> like when the, not, not like, saying it's like, going to happen today. Like when the episode but, actually ends. That might be something right. we disagree <laughs> There's about. that. There is, there is that. that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm not saying that's going to happen in Barlow's back today, but you never know. You but never So know. stick around because, you know, you never know when those fire, fireworks might show up. <laughs> but for now, why don't we go ahead and get to that big news reminder? Sure. You know, we've been talking about this for a few weeks now, but if you follow us on social media or you have been paying attention to the last few minutes in an episode, you have seen or heard that we have been invited to be special guests at MythMoot 5, which is taking place out in Virginia in June. It's an inc- pretty much near D.C. I mean, it's right outside D.C. I think yeah. uh, I don't remember. Yeah. Was it Alexandria? No, I don't remember the Leesburg. Leesburg. There you go. It is really an incredible opportunity. Sean and I are, are super thrilled to be uh, to be a part of it. Can't believe it's happening. Yeah, it's it's really going to be amazing, and we're going to be doing something very special while we're there. A live episode broadcast. We're going to be in the <laughs> because main because we're room, stupid folks. because we're literally <laughs> crazy to do that. But that's okay. Because. because yeah, right. I know. It, We've not been humiliated yeah. enough, really, is what enough, we're talking about. Yeah, when we can pre-record and edit things. No, we're going to do it live <laughs> um, in the main room with no other events scheduled during our time slot, which means that everyone at the conference will be there yes. to see us uh, 
potentially fall flat on our faces. Quite, quite potentially. Uh, <laughs> or have the time of our lives. There you which go. I think that is, is the probably hope. what's going to what's going to happen. And because we're interviewing some amazing people, that's more likely. We than really that. are. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's yeah. going to be so cool. We're going to going to have John Garth and Corey Olson come back on the show. We're also going to get a chance to speak with Douglas A. Anderson, the editor of the Annotated Hobbit, whose work has been incredibly helpful. That's right. And also uh, Mark Ockram, oh, yes, the, yes. Uh, the, the uh, language inventor who invented Klingon, Klingon. which I know Kabla. is really exciting to both of us. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Success, I believe, is what it means. It sounds awesome because I know nothing about Star Trek, but I do know a little bit about Conlang. There so. you go. We're both excited about that one for different reasons. We really are. Now, that show's going to air live on Facebook at the time of the event. I, if we can figure out how to distribute it to other channels, we will. I, I, the, I think the software we use, because it's not a, a fancy paid program, uh, it, it's open source. It's, uh, it, I think it only can allow one stream to go out. So I don't know if we can do Facebook okay. and YouTube and Twitch or whatever. And We're not even on Twitch. So... Um, whatever we can, if we can get it out on YouTube at the same time, uh, you know, maybe we'll get a link on Twitter to, to, to one of the feeds. Somehow we'll figure it out. But yeah, um, yeah. it is going to be live on Facebook for sure. So it may just be we direct everybody there uh, at the time of the event. And we believe that Saturday, I don't remember the date off the top of my head. Uh, it's the Saturday during Mythmoot. There's only one of those. Saturday the June 20... 21st? 20 something? I think it's the 23rd. 23rd. That sounds right. 21st is the day that the event starts, that Thursday. So Saturday the 23rd. Friday, Saturday the 23rd, and we think it's about 1 p.m. Eastern? Yeah, it's right yeah. after lunch. It's 1 o'clock Eastern, and we'll go for 90 minutes. That's right. Yeah. And then we're going to be releasing that uh, the next day, right, mm-hmm. as episode 88? Yeah, I'll do a little bit of editing that night uh, so that at least the perpetual version won't be totally humiliating. <laughs> there you go. And if we stay on schedule, if we plan mm-hmm. this out right, that event is actually going to take place right as we're wrapping up The Hobbit and getting ready for season yeah, three. Yeah, fellowship. Can you believe it? really was pure coincidence, we promise. That's but true. we're going to take advantage of yes, it. Yes, we will. It's just really cool. Absolutely. Perfect timing. Uh, you know, Mythmoot, I think we've told you this already, they are covering our event registration, which includes our meals. So that saves us a chunk. But we do still have to find a way to get there. And I don't know if you've looked this up lately, but airfare from California to Virginia and from Texas to Virginia, it's not cheap. So, it's not cheap. Um, you know, the Eagles aren't still aren't available. And uh, so we're looking nope. we're looking to actually have to fly in a real mechanical plane. <laughs> yeah, as boring as that may be. So we are coming to you, our friends and listeners, to ask to consider joining our Patreon family. Yeah. Patreon.com slash Prancing Pony Pod. Now, we weren't going to do a live episode from a moot no, until no. we got to our next goal, but... When this opportunity presented itself to us, we just couldn't turn it down. No, so no. we want to do this. We think it's going to be great. We think you're going to love it. Yeah. But we're coming to you to help us make it happen. Absolutely. You know, we really, I have to admit, we don't especially like having to ask. But those travel costs are significant. So we're trusting you to support us in this. Uh, we're super grateful for the things you have done so done for us so far. I mean, after all, it is thanks to you that we've been able to, thanks to our Patreon family, that we've been able to make the improvements to the show that we've made, uh, some mm-hmm. of the, the technical things, the production and, and post-production, as well as our move to weekly episodes, which has been incredibly time-consuming. But, uh, you know, that's all thanks to Patreon. So to make it worth your while to join up, we have some really fun rewards, too. And one of those rewards is exclusive content. And exclusive content includes things like our postscripts mm-hmm. to each episode. As I've said a few times before, we record episodes a couple of weeks in advance, and then we listen to them. And... Before they release, we prepare a postscript that, you know, just kind of covers any jokes that maybe fell through the cracks or <laughs> anything we got wrong that we want to correct or something we wish we'd done a little more research on. Anything that Sean um, got wrong. Yeah, it's, it's usually, yeah. It's usually no. me. Unless it's, a, unless it's a pronunciation thing, in which case. It's all of us, yeah. 
yeah, yeah. conservation conversation. <laughs> it's inequitable. <laughs> uh, but we put all of that Dunsany. into <laughs> dun- oh, man, that one. Um, we put all of those into an info pack, yes. 10 or 15 or yeah, so minute postscript that's available okay. to our Patreon supporters. Yeah. You know, and that postscript does usually release the same day as the episode it follows. So if you want access to those bonuses, and let me, let me be clear, there's 16 of those postscripts so far, totaling four hours of exclusive <laughs> content. So it's worth it. There you go. Be sure to join the Fellowship of the Podcast. And again, thank you, those of you who've already joined. We really appreciate you. You are helping to make the show even better. And we want to give our very special shout-out to D. May in Alaska and James in Virginia. They are our patrons at the Cure Dance Contribution Tier. Folks, if you want a personalized shout-out on our episodes, well, now you know where to go. And while we truly do appreciate your support, please don't feel obligated. We would love you to join the Fellowship yeah, of the Podcast really if would. you can, but only if you can, if you can afford That's it right. and if you think we've earned it. Yeah. Uh, we know some of you can't or are choosing to support us in other ways. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. We we really we need your your retweets, yep. your shares, your telling your friends, talking about us. We appreciate all the support you provide us. So Huge. even if you can't join us on Patreon, keep enjoying the podcast, keep mm-hmm. talking about it. We'll keep making it, and we will continue appreciating your support. Absolutely, we certainly will. So Sean, why don't we go ahead and get on with Barnum's bag? Okay, well, I think we can get through a few tonight. Uh, First of all, we have a question from our friend Paul D. in Bristol, who asked a question about one of our recent episodes. Mm -hmm. He said, I'm wondering what you think when Bayorn says to the horses that the strangers don't seem dangerous and so dismisses them as surely he wouldn't need the horses to help him defend himself. Hmm. I just find that a little odd, seeing as Bayorn is so powerful by himself. Good point. So, Alan, why don't you take this one to start? Well, you know, to quote Peregrine Took, the mightiest man may be slain by one arrow. Um, you know, clearly Bayorn can handle himself in a fight. Uh, it doesn't mean, though, that he wouldn't want to have some backup around in case brigands or goblins stopped in unexpectedly. I'm not sure though what horses would do against wargs, but you know, um, there are any number of ways his enemies could. Maybe just allow themselves to be eaten, <laughs> giving <laughs> giving themselves up. <laughs> here, I'm a nice meaty horse. I'm just going to lay down right in front of you here. Um, okay, that made me think of the cow at the restaurant at the end of the universe. The cow from uh, restaurant at the end of the yeah, universe. Yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm particularly tender. That's some really nice meaty bits yeah. here. Arthur suddenly wasn't very hungry. Are you sure you don't want me? I'm delicious. <laughs> Try the gray stuff. <laughs> it's delicious. Don't believe Try me? Try the gray stuff. It's delicious. Ask the dishes. Ask the dishes. So um, there are any number of ways, of course, that, you know, Bayorn's enemies could sneak up on him out there in the wild. I mean, this isn't, you know, <laughs> it's it's probably pretty easy. Uh, yeah, un- yeah, sure. Until he's certain that his visitors aren't goblins or or, you know, wicked men who might be trying to draw him out for an ambush. He would want to keep his animal servants around. Why not? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, just have more people as backup. Right. Why not? Well, and, people. And, and that's assumed, People's in air quotes there. Or people. People. Creatures. More things. <laughs> more more bodies. Yeah. Uh, and that's assuming that the horses would actually be there to defend him as opposed to just being there to help him run away if needed. That's true. I mean, yeah. Now, okay, let's be fair. Baron would probably only run away if he were really outnumbered. True, true. But, you know, if he needed to, you know, hop on a horse and escape or yeah. feed a horse to a warg and escape, well, <laughs> he probably would. He, he would not do that. Bayorn loves his Everybody needs a meat shield. Um, Everybody needs a meat shield. <laughs> the horse can tank for him while he, <laughs> while he casts a, an, an evac spell. There you go. Um, 
That's awesome. Or just being there to 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 run and get a message to somebody else who's friendly. Yeah. Maybe get a message to you know like some of the woodmen or yeah. even Radagast or something like that. Well, he's yeah. like he's going to be helpful. Yeah, <laughs> these are Roscabel rabbits. He's, he, he's he's all right as wizards go. Well, you know? yeah, as wizards go. Yes, it is of some use being a wizard then. Yep. Um, I, I guess he might keep them around if he can't find a phone booth in which to change into his bear form. But uh, <laughs> yeah, anyway, right. thank you for that one, he's Paul. Got the big, he's got the big blue tights the big, with the B. With the B. Big B on oh, it. Oh, man. That was a good yeah. one, Paul. Thank you so much. Sean, uh, what else do we have? Well, Kevin H. from Summerhill, New York, wrote in to ask us a question that I found especially relevant this chapter. Hmm. What with the... Uh, Let's just say the moral ambiguity of Bilbo stealing food ah, to survive yeah. while the while the dwarves are in prison, uh, and this kind of harkens back to our interview with Professor Michael Drought back in episode sixty six. So Kevin said at the end of the interview, Mike threw away this comment about there being a difference between burglars and thieves. Ah, yes, he did. I would like to hear your thoughts on what Tolkien intended philologically when he used the term burglar for Bilbo's role in the dwarves' party. Hmm. Maybe an opportunity here for some word nerdery. Uh oh. Okay. Oh, Kevin, you know me so well. Uh, I find it interesting, Kevin says, and perhaps significant, that Bilbo is a burglar to the dwarves and a thief to Gollum. Can't be coincidental. Nope, probably not coincidental. Okay, next question, because word nerdery, (laughs) I mean, we're going to be here for another 25 minutes now. Um, Yes, indeed. I can't help thinking, Sean, that since you have been directly invited to engage in word nerdery, that you are probably planning to do so right about now. Oh, you know me so well, too. Yes. Uh, it is an excellent catch, Kevin. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I had actually thought about that distinction uh, before you brought it up. But now that you mention it, uh, you're absolutely right. And I'm convinced that the use of the two different terms is absolutely not a coincidence. Right. right. I did a word search, uh, again, ebooks for the win. Yeah, you're not kidding. Uh, and discovered that only three characters ever call Bilbo Thief in this book. Mm-hmm. So you've got Gollum. Right. Smaug. Oh, of course. And Thorin. Oh. Who actually says on his deathbed, he says, farewell, good thief. To deathbed. Bilbo. Spoiler alert. Just saying. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> What's the, uh, it's like the thread on the Tolkien Society uh, Facebook page about oh, yeah. Thorin's death that's yeah. been going for years. Uh, years. Um, so all three of those characters, Gollum, Smaug, and Thorin, have uh, had Bilbo steal something from them. That's right. Right? That's right. You're right. So Gollum, you know, it's the, ring the ring from, from right. Gollum, the cup from mm-hmm. Smaug's hoard, and, and, of course, the Arkenstone from Thorin, who Bilbo gave it to the bard and to the Elven King. Right. Exactly. That's the only three times that the word thief is used in this book. Yeah. Um, or, as, sorry, it's used of, multiple of times Bilbo. by each character, but it's only those three incidents, right, I should say. Right, right, That's true. Uh, in which Bilbo is ever called a thief. Everywhere else he's called a burglar. Huh. So I did some etymology you know, research on this. Mm-hmm. The Oxford English Dictionary defines thief as a person who steals another person's property, especially by stealth and without using force or threat of violence. Hmm. Now, it's a Germanic word with cognates in a host of Germanic languages. The exact history is hard to pin down, but that that's enough for our purposes. Okay. Um, let's compare that to the definition and especially the etymology of burglar. Hmm. Burglar is a person who commits burglary. Okay, Well, duh. okay, that doesn't help. Thank you very much. Um, look up the dictionary definition of burglary, and it says illegal entry of a building with intent to commit a crime, especially theft. Especially, okay. And it comes from a Latin word, burgare, which means to break open, which actually is derived from burgus, fortress or castle, which huh. is a, a Germanic loan root. Uh, loan loan right, word like that burg. comes from the Germanic word burg, burg, right. burrow, all those words for fortress, yeah. castle, city. Yeah. Hmm. 
Hmm. So, so the definition of thief is focused on the stealing of another's property. The definition of burglar, and especially its etymology, are focused on the breaking and entering aspect. Yeah. Now, it's a very subtle distinction, but we know Tolkien was attuned to these things, especially when it comes sure. to actual etymologies. And I think that's what he's doing here. I think the reason the dwarves think of Bilbo as a burglar is because they're thinking of him primarily as somebody who can break into the horde yeah. and get them access to it. Whereas when Gollum and Smaug call him a thief, they're thinking of him actually stealing their property. Stealing something. You're right. Well, it's even the same thing with Thorin, although when Thorin calls Bilbo good thief at that point, he's being ironic. Yeah, that's uh, true. I mean, yeah. he's trying to reconcile with Bilbo at that yeah. point. You know, with, with my legal background, I immediately went to the concept of breaking and entering, sneaking into a place you don't belong in order to commit a crime, uh, usually theft. Sure, yeah. Theft, which is, of course, what a thief does, can be something a burglar does. But one doesn't have to be a burglar to be a thief, right? I mean, mm-hmm. uh, a pickpocket is a thief, but he's not mm-hmm. a burglar. Yeah. So, you know, if we did a Venn diagram, and you know I love Venn diagrams, yes, there'd do. be yeah. overlap, right? Mm-hmm. But neither is going to be a full subset of the other. Not all burglars are thieves, though mm-hmm. most burglars are burgling most in burglar. order to commit theft. Right, yeah. And not all thieves are burglars. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. I, and you can you imagine know. the dwarves thinking of Bilbo as sort of being on that that little sliver of burglary that doesn't involve actual theft. Right. Because, right, of right. course, they don't think of it as stealing because he's no, just getting their, their, property. their treasure. Yeah. Right. So what about Bilbo's insistence on thinking of himself as a burglar? You know, I mean, here he complains that, you know, he's a burglar that can't get away, must go on miserably right. burgling the same house day after day. Right. And if I remember correctly, I know we haven't gotten there yet, but when he takes the Arkenstone and puts it in his pocket, he says something like, now I am really a burglar. Now I'm a burglar indeed or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, at that point, he's clearly stealing. He's actually not, stealing at that point. Yeah. He's already in. He's already committed the burglary true, aspect. Yeah. So now he's just committing theft. You know, I think in both of those cases, I think it's just a matter of trying to be comfortable with his choices. You know, mm, yeah, thief yeah. in this book is such a derogatory word. And it's only, it's only applied by the victim of the crime to the perpetrator of the crime. Well, if you uh, want to call stealing from Smaug a crime. But yeah. You know right, I mean? right. right, right. Yeah, yeah. To, to whoever's done it, yeah. yeah. Bilbo wouldn't think of himself as a thief. He doesn't want to think no. of himself as a thief, even if he's thieving food from the Elven King's table. True. I, and I think he's just sort of, he's made up his mind by this point that burglar is the polite word for what he is. <laughs> and so that's what he calls himself. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And really, I mean, the etymology of the word does suggest that a burglar has every intent to be a thief. So... You know, it may be a distinction without a difference, really. Yeah. I mean, I think I think it probably is. I think it's all a matter of uh, point of view, really. Yeah, that's you know, a good if point. You're, if you're stealing from someone who, you know, if you're stealing back your property, I think that that's how the dwarves make their, their peace with it. But Well, um, I definitely don't think it's coincidental because, um, you know, the more I think about it, if burglary comes from a Latin root, that's like the last sort of thing that Tolkien would use on purpose. He must be yeah. using it. I mean, he really is using it to be different from thief, mm-hmm. because otherwise he wouldn't use a Latin word. He would I find think so. a Germanic yeah. word. Yeah. yeah. And so I don't think that there's really much of a practical difference, but um, certainly a difference in the way the characters perceive it. Yeah, especially Bilbo. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, thank you Time very much, more? Kevin. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you, Kevin. Yeah, Sorry no, I didn't just mean to run say, over you. No, that's, that's fine. I, I always appreciate an excuse to look up some word origins. So thank you, Kevin, for that one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think we've got time yeah, for one, one more, don't one. we? Sure. Yeah. As long as it's not too long. I don't think this one's too long. So this one's been in the bag for a really long time, actually. Um, (laughs) This came to us some time ago from Josie in Rhineland-Palatinate, Germany. 
Wow. She wrote in saying, one of my favorite characters in the whole of Tolkien's work is Thranduil, the Elven King. I would like to know how you would have portrayed him in the movie or what you think of the Mm. way he is presented in it, especially in terms of his relationship to his son and the Sylvan Elves, but also concerning his actions and behavior in the Battle of the Five Armies and the wounds and the reasoning behind him he was shown to have. Now, I, I will admit, you know, we probably gave Josie the answer she was looking for some, ta- some time ago. Probably, because, yeah. you know, when we talked about the movies in episode 51, I think yeah. we talked about a lot of this. But I don't know. It, it feels like since we've been talking about Thranduil, it seems like a good chance to go back and sure. discuss this, um, you know, without beating up on the movies too much and just talk a little. Fine, fine. I'll, I'll take the hint. <laughs> there you go. And just talk about it a little bit more before we really get to know the character the way Tolkien wrote him. So, okay. I don't know, do you want to start? Well, sure. I mean, it, it, you know, how would I have portrayed him in the movie? I, I probably wouldn't have portrayed him as some androgynous pretty boy with a dragon scar and a penchant for shiny robes uh, and, and, and a very large moose. And a very large moose. And a superiority <laughs> complex. And, well, anyway, this could go and on for a while. such nice hair. And beautiful, beautiful hair. Yeah. Um, here's the thing. The text describes these elves, and we've gone over this a number of times, as being more dangerous and less wise. Their fault is distrust of strangers. And then he, of course, is described as having an additional weakness for treasure and that he's greedy, right? His hoard was rich, but he was ever eager for more. His dislike for Thorin and for dwarves in general could, you know, if, if we're using modern terms to describe it, it could be described as kind of racist. I mean, uh, you know, he yeah. believed elves to be superior to dwarves. But but before we go any further down that road, I want to say it's it's usually fruitless and almost always problematic to apply modern moral concepts to characters in a fictional world. I, I mean, the truth is, in Middle-earth, I'm sorry to break this to you, elves really are superior to dwarves. <laughs> I mean, they're immortal. They're wiser. They're the original children of Iluvatar. They really are just better. Um, so I, I don't want to dwell on that piece. You know, most of the stuff we see in the films is just, you know, made up fluff to fill in a character that Tolkien didn't really spend any time describing. The nonsense about the dragon wound and the, the death of Legolas' mother is, is just that. It's nonsense. I mean, all right, I need to stop. But the usual disclaimer after having said anything <laughs> that could be considered bashing the films, um, I, I do fully understand the need to flesh out a character for cinematic reasons. I don't have sure. yeah. a problem with the fact that, you know, he loved Legolas's mom and she's dead and he got dragon scars or whatever. I mean, okay, okay, that's fine. That's the film version of the character. But, yeah. you know, that that's that's way more than Tolkien would have given him because Tolkien just didn't give him that much description. Right. And what was made him sound like Thingol, really. Yeah. Well, and I, I will say in defense of Peter Jackson's Hobbit, which is a phrase I don't think I've ever uttered before, um, <laughs> I, I would say that, that was almost a spit take moment right there <laughs> in defense of Peter Jackson's Hobbit. Finish. I don't what? think anybody I don't think any movies ever gotten the Elven King quite no. right. I mean, I'm thinking no. of oh, no. the Rankin Bass, the Rankin Bass as one. much. And oh, I like oh. the Rankin Bass Hobbit. I, I think the Rankin Bass Hobbit is a lot of fun. But, you know, not the, the Elven King, Elven King in that. I mean, he's, well, he's got that green gray skin and he's all yeah, he's, he's all wiry and he's he's. He's got oh. the voice. His voice is like Otto Preminger, you know. Oh, I mean, it's yeah, yeah. It's just it's not. No, I mean, it's you know, Lee Pace is a breath of fresh air compared to that in a lot of ways. <laughs> he really but, is. You're right. But I think, but I think it, it is <laughs> oh, true. They, Never thought I'd say that. There's a lot. There's a lot there that um, that I think was just a little bit off the mark. And I think for yeah, me, the yeah. key to understanding Thranduil or the Elven King is mm-hmm. to think about some of the things we've discussed in, in our last couple of episodes. He's yeah. a Cinderin elf 
who moved back to Mirkwood to, to rule over sylvan elves, um, partly as a part of a superiority complex, but also partly to embrace <laughs> their way of life right? and put yeah. some distance between himself and the high elves in the West. Mm-hmm. Um, he's greedy. He loves treasure, but he doesn't yeah. really take the time or effort to have his people mine or do smithing or trade. Um, he His people are hidden. They're protective of their borders. They're at war with the evil around them in the forest. Right. Um, right. And so they're, you know, they're... A, yeah, you know, they they don't make friends easily. Obviously, no. he doesn't. He doesn't <laughs> no. love dwarves, and he thinks of them as enemies. But despite all that, he and his people are elves, and that is good people. Good people, yeah. And and I think you know you, you talk about the idea of kind of portraying him as racist. And I think one thing I think they tried to do is I think they tried too hard to make him a villain, or yeah, yeah. or at least more of an antagonist. I mean, he's a bit of an antagonist here because his you know his goals are different. Oh, from he, yeah, he Thorin's. is an antagonist here, yeah. but not but not a villain. That's not, right. Not a not a bad guy. Not an not an evil. They kind of put no. him in that Denethor role, you know. They really. That's exactly who I was thinking of. Where yeah, because it's the same thing. Where they took a character that was somewhat antagonistic and mm-hmm. had a different point of view and a different perspective and was kind of counter to our main characters. Right. But in the film, they turned him into a full blown villain. Right. And, and it's all about the that theme of disunity. We talked about exactly. that theme. Exactly. You know. That just the the fact that a character has a different point of view, a different opinion about right. the way this should be, this war should be carried out, is enough to make them a villain in the movies. Yeah, yeah. and that's what's going on with Thranduil. That's what's going on with Denethor. I think um, you're right. In in Tolkien's version, Thranduil is flawed. He's sure. far from morally perfect. Oh yeah, he's not the he's certainly not and... the worst elf we've ever seen, but he's <laughs> <No>. far from <laughs> perfect. Maeglin, Vanor, um. Caranthir, Kelligorm, Griffin. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much anybody whose name begins with a C. Um, oh, just about. Except for Celeborn and Celebrimbor. But well, no, yeah. I mean, he's, he's, far from, <laughs> he's far from perfect, but he's still generally a good guy, even oh, yeah, though yeah. his goals are just different from Thorin's sure. and even opposed in some cases. Um, yeah. I think he's proud, but I don't think he's racist. And I think you're right that it's, it, it doesn't really make sense to try and apply that term or that no. concept to Tolkien's world. No. No, he's certainly not genocidal. No. Um, and he's no. certainly not going to advocate killing dwarves for no good reason, which I think is something we saw in the movies. I mean, Just if he about. wanted to kill dwarves, he could have killed them here. Yeah. But, but you know, he doesn't. He, he, he feeds them. He shows them mercy. And, again, he's, he's still an elf. He's, he's still one of the good guys. That's true. So. Awesome. Well, that was a good question. Thank you. If you're even still listening to us, Josie, because that's been well over a year. <laughs> but thank you for that question. Folks, that does wrap it up for another episode of the Prancing Pony podcast. But still, we're going to ask you, don't leave quite yet. Wait for the very pleasant music. Uh, We do thank you again, though, for joining us. And we look forward to having you back again with us next week when we wrap up Chapter 9 of The Hobbit. That's right, my friends. You know no Elven King is going to be able to hold our heroes for long, no matter how luxurious his hair is. So find out how they escape in the next episode. Does it involve his full, shiny, thick locks? Do they throw them out of a tower window? Or maybe several <laughs> moose, meese, mice. Always mooses. with the mooses. The <laughs> anyway, folks, we do want to encourage you all to read along and take notes in your copy of The Hobbit. So please check out the official library tab on our website, theprancingponypodcast.com. We've got links to everything from inexpensive paperbacks to some really good stuff in your token collection. And also, if you wouldn't mind heading over to iTunes for us and leaving us a review, we'd really be grateful for that. Those reviews help us get more visibility in iTunes, and that translates to a bigger and more exciting community of Tolkien lovers. Absolutely. And thank you to those of you who have. We do still read every single one of them, and we genuinely appreciate all the 
crazily kind things you say about us. <laughs> in fact, we've actually started picking out one special review each week to feature on our social media networks as our way of saying thanks. So yep. if you'd like to see your name or whatever you've chosen as your alias, and hopefully it's clean, in lights on our pages, <laughs> now it's easy. All you have yep. to do is leave us a review. Yep. Thankful Thursday. And make sure you never miss an episode of the Prancing Pony Podcast by subscribing to our podcast through iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can mm-hmm. find us in just about any podcast directory. In fact, we're even on Spotify now. Yay! And we're also on Potable as well. That's a podcast discovery platform. It finds new and emerging creators and recommends them to you, sort of like the Netflix algorithms. Um, you know, other apps will still make you sort through clunky charts and find your new shows, but Potable learns your interests and recommends new shows and individual episodes, both big mainstream popular shows and undiscovered gems. So you can spend less time searching and more time listening. That's right. And thanks to everyone who's become part of our social media family. We set out to start a Tolkien conversation that everybody could join. And that's why we have the online common room on Facebook at the Prancing Pony Podcast, on Twitter at Prancing Pony Pod, and now on Instagram, also at Prancing Pony Pod. That's right. And one last thing as always, don't forget to send your questions, comments, or survival tips for invisible burglars trapped in a magic fortress. Perhaps we should say, uh, you know, anti-boredom tips for invisible burglars. Yeah, that too. Yeah. To Barlaman at theprancingponypodcast.com. That's Barlaman at theprancingponypodcast.com. And we'll try to get him into our next episode. Well, a little over an hour and a half, still far too short a time to spend amongst such excellent and admirable listeners. But until next time. Farewell, friends. <laughs>